This message was recorded at Devoted Leaders, a leadership conference hosted by Christ Central. Christ Central is a family of churches served by an apostolic team led by Jeremy Simpkins. We work with over 275 churches in more than 25 nations and are part of the wider New Frontiers family. For more details about Christ Central, please visit ChristCentralChurches.org. There were three uh, bricklayers building a wall. And uh, someone comes up to the first bricklayer and says, What are you doing? And he says rather sarcastically, What does it look like I'm doing? I am laying bricks. And then uh, this guy goes up to uh, another guy building uh, a wall with some bricks. And he says, what is it you're doing here? And he says, well, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm building a wall. Then the last man was asked what it is he was doing. And he exclaims, can't you see? I am building a magnificent cathedral for God. Now, which one of those bricklayers do you think built the best wall? It was the one who saw the big picture. It was the one who saw the vision. It was the one who appreciated the little part he was playing in building the bigger thing. And these conferences are helpful because they press the pause button and help us to take a step back and remind ourselves what it is we're actually doing. We're not just building a wall. We're not just laying some bricks. No, we're building a house for God. And when it comes to mercy and mission, it's a helpful way of thinking perhaps of a bird and uh, thinking about the two wings of a bird. And if you like, God has given us, when it comes to mercy and mission, two wings. He's given us a wing of the Great Commission and a wing of the Great Commandment. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's our great commission wing, if you like, the mission of God. But we also have the mercy of God. We not only have a great commission, we also have a great commandment. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And we need to be beware of divorcing mission from mercy and mercy from mission. They are the two wings of the church, if you like, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And by being obedient to both of them, we fly. And Jesus connects them very much in Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. Mercy. And glorify your Father in heaven. Mission. 
And the encouragement is, as we look over the UK, there has been some fulfillment of that. The 2020 House of Good Report estimated that the church in the UK contributes 12.4 billion pounds annually to society. And so when people say, well, what, is, what good is the church? Well, we can say, well, it's at least 12.4 billion pounds good for our society. And what we're going to do today is hear some stories of churches that are flying, if you like, in mercy and mission. I personally don't know a church that isn't doing anything in terms of mercy and mission. I don't know a church that isn't doing anything, but we're going to get four people up here to share their story about how God has helped them be effective in mercy and mission. And interwoven in those four stories, I'm going to give us three keys. I don't think these are the most important, but as I've prayed and sought what to bring today, uh, I want to bring three keys uh, for leading in mercy and mission, which will hopefully be applicable to a large church or a very small church plant. So let me open up before we start hearing some of our stories, this first point that I want to bring, and it's this, the 222 principle. The 222 principle. You may think, well, what is the 222 principle? It sounds like a, a new kind of leadership uh, saying, axiom. Well, actually, it comes straight from Scripture. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. So it's easy to remember. The 222 principle. Paul writes to Timothy this, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I think when it comes to leading in mercy and mission, we can often feel the responsibility or weight upon our shoulders to innovate and implement when actually Paul helps us see, no, look for those reliable people and release them into the ministry that God has called them to. Who is it in your church who is carrying a passion, carrying a burden, carrying a calling, carrying a sense of fire that you can get behind and support and release into the mercy and mission calling that they have? I'm aware words sometimes don't help us remember principles. So I've got a little video that hopefully summarizes some of this principle. Maybe some of you have seen it on social media. If we could play that, that'd be great. Would you play this song with me? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, you don't need to film it, it's okay, it's going to be, be filmed. <laughs> Everybody's filming it. 
You sure you want, you sure you want to play, man? Thank you for coming. All right. So, so you know where you know where it starts, right? Oh shit! I'm, I, I may as well go home. Can't go home. I'll see you later. You keep the you do the concert. Okay. All right. Let's try it, man. This is called Evergo. This is a, a German British union. Let's go. Let's keep it together in Europe. All right. picture I think um, I think church leaders often used to be like the one-man band you know with the drum on the back and the, doing everything with the symbols you know quite impressive but doesn't sound very good <laughs> um, but I just love that as like a little picture actually of how Chris pulls someone out and although he could play the piano beautifully um, he actually this guy plays out of tune a little bit but he's there he coaches him a bit and he stands alongside him and he supports him and he releases him and the kind of act six principle really of it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you. And this sense of when it comes to leading in mercy and ministry, thinking we have to pioneer everything, actually, no, what we have to pioneer in is, is identifying and releasing uh, others. It's amazing to have, I didn't prep this, but Esther Davy here leading our community cafe, Hannah leading uh, our food bank and our fuel bank. Um, and, and it's such a joy um, to, to, it's not always me, but come alongside uh, you and others and support them and release them into what they've been called to do. And we've got a great story from Mike. Uh, now, if you're happy to come up and share about how that's going on uh, here in Darlington. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Mike. Um, I uh, lead the team here at King's. It's been so good to welcome you. Uh, first of all, I hope you've been well looked after and uh, hopefully at some point you'll all get to take a look around what we do here as well and not just see the halls because that's the most boring part really. Um, but uh, 
really, I was asked to share a little bit, a little something about this really. And it just fits so well with me and my heart in terms of leadership and how we lead he, things here at King's. Um, we have incredible staff and volunteers here and two things that we run community-wise. One is the furniture, which is the other side of this wall here, the furniture scheme. Um, and the other one is the food bank, um, which is run by Caroline, who's actually in here right now. We didn't prep this, did we, Caroline? Um, uh, and Caroline uh, manages our food bank uh, full-time. Um, and we have uh, two other members of staff and volunteers who are in there too. And it is just the most incredible scheme. Caroline works tirelessly, um, as all do, do the rest of them, um, but none quite as much as Caroline. Um, she loves a job, and you can't keep her away, even if she's sick, like today. Uh, you can't keep her at home. Um, she works nonstop, picking up food from uh, supermarkets around town. Um, and I think that's the main thing, really. I don't, here's the thing. I love what the food bank does. I think last year we would a few thousand short of 100,000 bags of food that we gave out to people in Darlington in a year, which just blows my mind. Um, and um, they do an incredible job. And I love what the food bank does. But in all honesty, it, you know, I don't have that drive and that passion to make that happen every day. I just love that, that, that Caroline does and the team there. Um, and I think my job, as far as I'm concerned as the leader, and maybe Caroline will tell you it doesn't quite turn out like this at times, but our job as an eldership is, is to really just take care of them. Um, and without a champion, really, that's our rule. If we don't have a champion for something, we just don't do it. Because what happens is, and I'm sure as leaders you've had this experience, you carry something that you have no vision for, no passion for, and it just feels, it's like the difference between rowing a boat and having a sailboat that catches the wind, you know. Um, when Caroline's running it with the team, it's like it's caught the wind, you know. If it was me doing it, it'd be like I'm rowing a boat, you know. It'd all be in my own strength and, and not really from the vision that God's given me. Um, so they do an incredible job. So I think the first thing I would say is, is that having a champion for those things is just vital. My job, in a sense, is to to wash her feet. So she needs more storage. We need to find more storage for Caroline. You know, she's caught the wind here and we need to allow that to keep going. The second part really of running something like that in terms of mission and mercy is, is really, if I'm being completely honest, I have people from all over town, people who have, you know, from the council, the police, um, social services. Um, we have everybody come in here every week. Uh, the local MP, and we feel like we have a foot in every door, really, because of the fact that we look after people in dance. And that's our goal as a church, to care and love on the people around us and tell them about Jesus. But they see it as, wow, look at all this food they're giving out. You know, they want to be our friends. Um, so we found that it gives us influence, really, in the town, which is such a blessing for us. Um, we've got the MP actually here Friday um, doing a town meeting here. And we feel like that stuff happens because of the fact that we have these schemes running, the furniture and the food bank. It gives us a, a voice within the town. So please uh, hear me right. We, I love what we do, but I'm so glad we have a champion who runs that. My job is to try my best to look after her and the team up there. And that goes for the whole eldership as well. We drive the van when we need to and we pack bags when we need to. And, um, let them get on with it otherwise, yeah.
Yeah, so thank you. Why don't you just uh, take a minute and turn to a few people next to you, one person next to you, or if that idea just frustrates you, be quiet on your own, that's fine. Um, um, why don't you talk about this? What hurdles do you face to the 222 principle? How could these be overcome? And chat for a few minutes. What hurdles do you face to the 222 principle, and how could these be overcome? So, um, the next uh, title is, uh, it was referenced earlier, we can do more together than we can apart. And obviously it's a classic uh, New Frontiers line that has been carried and that is why we're doing what we do in terms of Christ Central and New Frontiers. But to slightly hijack the phrase, um, I think it's also helpful in terms of uh, applying it to local uh, mission and um, and mercy initiatives that we start or partner with. And so we want to talk about leading in mercy and mission is about creating fruitful local partnerships. And to kick us off, we've got Paul, who's got a, an amazing story uh, to share from Cockermouth. Thank you. So a um, bit of background, Cockermouth is a small uh, Cumbrian town of about 8,000 people it has a confluence of two rivers, the River Derwent and Cocker, and it's had a lot of problems in the past with flooding, but in 2009, the flood came, and it was about 14 foot deep in the high street, and lots of houses and businesses gone, and the churches took a main lead in the re uh, recovery period, both in the short term and the long term, churches together, so we recognize that we can't do it by ourselves as King's Church, although we're the biggest church in town. We need to work with other churches to make things happen. And um, that kind of worked, and we were there for a long time. In fact, actually up till 2020, we were still running a cafe that came out of that. Um, so that was, what, 10, 11 years. In 2015, we had another flood event in December, and uh, 460 homes were flooded, uh, the, most of the high street was flooded, um, and there was an awareness that the churches would take a stand again to move forward. Um, I'd been there a year and trying to figure out why I was in Cockermouth, um, and then the flood came, um, so I must be like a bit of a Noah figure, I guess. But um, I quickly became aware that actually 460 homes with a reasonably good-sized church wasn't going to work too well. We had to do something about it. And very early on, within the first few hours, came across um, people from the Rotary Club, and we tied them in, and then the w Women's Institute, and they got tied in, and then the County Council came along, um, and the Borough Council, and all sorts of different people. And so we, we started to work together in community because we recognize that as churches, even the churches together, we weren't big enough to be able to solve the problem. And so we started to work together, and we formed a very small working group. I was in the working group and chaired that for a while. Um, then we had also the Rotary Club came in on it, and all the people we just talked about, the county council particularly, the borough council, and the town council, the MP wanted a bit of the action. Um, and, it, and so we started to work together, and we struggled together to figure out how we could help our town. And we birthed 
an organization called the Cockermouth Emergency Response Group. And we began recruiting volunteers and we're trying to find finance. And we became part of this little group. Um, now, interestingly enough, in 2015, we are still now, even now, running another cafe uh, for about 40 individuals who come on a regular basis who are flooded. Um, and they've become part, part of our wider church community. So we, one of the things that we wanted to be and have been is that we're there for the long term. Once the emergency services have all gone, the people still need long-term care and affection and love and whatever. And we don't see a lot of progress, but we have 40 people who come on a weekly basis, which is fantastic. By 2020, the Cockermouth Emergency Response Group was up and running, uh, fully formed. Um, I'd chaired it for a while, and now the Rotary Club are chairing it. Um, and then the pandemic hit, um, and suddenly kind of, what does that mean? Now, we'd already, already had it in mind that we were going to be an emergency response group, not just for flooding, but for other issues in town, and pandemic seemed to be a bit of a, an emergency. So we hit the ground running, all together as a group. We started to lead on food and medicine distribution to vulnerable people, making sure that people were okay, they'd got everything they needed, um, all sorts of stuff that we, we did around that. I could spend hours on that, but we're not going to. And then um, they started to roll the vaccination program out, and so we got involved with our local surgery, and we started to have talks with them, again, as a big group working together. And we ended up managing their queues and uh, cleaning their chairs and all sorts of things, um, to the point where I think Boris Johnson even mentioned Cockermouth in one of his um, addresses to the nation about how uh, communities could help each other and using Cockermouth as a shining example. And at the height of that, we were operating with 300 volunteers. When you think that town's 8,000 people, that's a lot of people uh, in percentage terms. And so it goes on, and we're now looking at um, electricity outages and all sorts of things that we can get involved with. The amazing thing is that the council now come to us as part of the, the county council and the borough council and the town council come to us for... Um, not just uh, they don't come to us for advice, they come to us to actually implement their emergency plans on the ground. We're used across Cumbria as an example of how things can happen and our people go and do talks all over Cumbria about it. But the good news was that actually in, in April we were awarded, the group together were awarded the Queen's Award for Voluntary Services because of the way that that group had impacted our community. And I want to tell you that actually working with other people outside the church is challenging, but it's such fun, and you get a lot done. And the thing that comes through it all is all the time, we, we as a church want to make the point of when we say we're going to do something, we want to do it for as long as possible, and we want to do it well, and we want to honor other groups within our town. really good Paul thank you I think um, Joseph was probably the pioneer of this wasn't he uh, Genesis 41 37 to 38 Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials so Pharaoh asked his officials can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God 
And um, I think we sometimes downplay what we can bring because we have access to the creator who knows what's going to happen in the future. <laughs> we can actually help, uh, not just pragmatically, but actually with wisdom and influencing strategy. And I think if we look at the UK as a whole, where we're up to culturally at the moment, it was in 1942 that the welfare state emerged. And in some ways, uh, the UK government were kind of like, hands off now, church, we can, we've got this one sorted now, um, um, we'll, we'll, we'll crack on. And the church kind of said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll back off a bit. But actually, what started to happen more and more is, is, is Paul's story that could be replicated across the UK and even nationally, where the government and local government are asking, actually, again, for the church's help to step in. And um, actually, I think the UK coming out of COVID is facing some of the, the biggest challenges since World War II. And I think more and more, we're going to be asked to help and asked to input, especially with this whole building back better agenda, the cost of living crisis uh, that we're in at the moment. And, and this needs a lot of wisdom. And we don't want to lose one of our wings in this, do we? Uh, we don't want to lose uh, mission in the mercy. Um, and we don't want to lose the centrality of the local church or the centrality of the gospel. But the reality is, I think more and more we're going to hear stories of local and national government asking again for the church to step back and help. And um, we see this through national partnerships already happening with people like CAP, Trussell Trust, Fuel Bank Foundation, Home for Good, TLG, um, Baby Basics. And we see it more uh, as well with local partnerships, uh, with, with local councils, with local schools, with local businesses, other local churches partnering together. And uh, also, of course, just with individual partnerships with people of peace uh, in our communities. But I think this is such a key, a key principle. In fact, I asked these four people to contribute, and all of them could have fit under this title. We can do more together than we can apart. They've all found fruitful local partnerships to serve well in mercy and mission. And in fact, we've got the Norcrosses to come and share another story of seeing this principle in action. And uh, let's give them a round of applause. So we are Stephen and Lisa Norcross from Community Church Blackburn. Um, and I think some slides are going to come up to show what we've been up to. So for the last 17 months, we have been on a team setting up Kairos Housing. So it was something that me and Stephen had wanted to do for the past few years in response to a need we saw for housing refugees in the move-on period and asylum seekers who have no recourse to public funds. So in simple terms, what we do... Um, is the refugees um, who we house, we give them support with things like applying for benefits, getting into training, work, and moving on to permanent accommodation. And alongside that, we house individuals who are street homeless and don't qualify for local hostels. Um, and they are housed with us while we help them get a fresh legal claim. So on the second slide, you can see um, we have a block of four um, flats and they're two bedroom flats and at the bottom a community hub and what we've done is over the last 17 months we've provided 100, sorry, 1,548 nights of accommodation. Um, we have housed 14 individuals and the bulk of those are individuals who cannot even access local hostel accommodation. They are absolutely street homeless. Um, the people that we've housed have been from six different nations 
like I said, we have these four um, two-bedroom flats, and we've also been able to employ one full-time support worker from our church who works with the people we house. Um, what, one of the real blessings uh, of Kairos Housing, particularly to me and Lisa and, and Community Church as well, uh, is it at its heart, um, it is churches working together. Uh, it's, and it's so, so important. There is so much blessing. Uh, if you, from its very inception, actually, Kairos actually means, one of its meanings is God's opportune moment and we spent an awful lot of time really researching and looking how to do this um, with destitute asylum seekers but it was actually we actually gave up because uh, we required four people well people to give us houses for free really which is I think only God can do we found out but actually God brought opportune time in the people together and they were from the different denominations uh, of the churches together so really it uh, although kind of community church Blackburn kind of drives it and pioneers it um, it really is an ecumenical partnership and actually sometimes that partnership is between the Methodists so the Methodists actually have provided the, the flats for us um, a lot of the uh, dressing of the flats and caring for the flats it's a group of wonderful ladies uh, from the URC church who, if we talked about theology, we wouldn't agree. Um, but actually, they love Jesus, and we love Jesus. It's also been a real prophetic, I think, sign to the town and the council and other churches about working with brothers and sisters in Christ together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And actually, we quite recently, we rather embarrassingly had a, an ITV reporter come and do a piece uh, on Kairos for the news. Um, and one of the things that really struck us, she was so surprised that churches were working together. Um, so, so in your projects, I think if I've had one learning, and actually that, that team is coming together and it's thinking about other things to do like a community grocers or things like that. So we can actually do more together. We have strength and depth when we work at, uh, with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are different flavors to us, um, but love Jesus um, and God works. I think God blesses that, I really do. So that's been a real blessing and a learning. Thanks guys, thank you. Okay, here's some uh, question or some personal reflection space for you. Um, what principles make for good partnerships in mission and mercy? And uh, if you get past that question, here's another question for you. Would your community miss your church if it didn't exist? Um, so what principles make for good partnerships in mission and mercy? Would your community miss your church if it didn't exist? Why don't you uh, start chatting and reflecting for three or four minutes? Great. So we've got another story uh, of uh, we can do more together than we can apart from Kate in Cardiff. Let's give Kate a round of applause. Well, um, yeah, I'm Kate and I'm from Cardiff and uh, we've been involved in a church plant in Cardiff. So we've been there nearly five years. Um, and I'm loving hearing all these different stories. So ours is a slightly smaller setting. Um, and we had a miraculous dynamic of partnership um, just as lockdown was happening. Um, we'd been in conversation with uh, someone that was uh, running a sort of cafe-style church, but it 
wasn't actually meeting as a church. It was more of a cafe. Um, and it was connected with Pentrick Road Baptist Church. And we, plus another, quite a number of different churches, put in a bid, as it were, of what we would do if we were to have the building. Anyway, we got it. And we were able to partner with the Baptist church and, and the broader sense. Simon's actually now officially become a Baptist minister. Um, and we now use the building. And it, the building is a, this lovely little uh, chapel, old Welsh chapel, um, and it had a cafe in it. Um, and I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that I would run a community cafe, but I utterly love it. Um, and it's a beautiful dynamic of walking through a door that you know that God has given you to walk through. Um, and we have also taken on and honoured what the people before us had done. Um, and they had already made great connections with the local school, great connections with the local councillors. Um, so it was there already for us. Um, and I've always had a, a heart for refugees, so I wanted to take that heart forward as well in amongst the other things that they'd already been doing. Um, and they'd also been connecting with the local food bank they had done a dynamic of a pay-it-forward scheme with the cafe. So it was up if you, you, know, if you don't have enough money to, to pay for your food, then uh, please ask kind of dynamic. So I was talking to them, and they hardly ever had anyone come and say, I want some food. So I thought, okay, so how can we take this further? How can we connect with the local food bank? How can we connect with the local school? All the people on free school meals at the local school, what can we do? The money that people are giving for the cafe and people were um, paying extra for things and wanted it to go to people that needed food. Um, so then we started talking with the school and said, what can we do? You know, those that are on free school meals, what, would, what do you think? What, what would help? What could we do as a, as a cafe? We're open three days a week as a normal cafe, but on other days, what could we do? And we came up together, me and the head, talking through what we could do. Um, we came up with having a meal for those on free school meals on Wednesdays after school. Um, and we started small, because I think families thought, why are they doing this? Um, what is this? We had a very nominal charge of a pound a family, just to kind of honour honor the dynamic of them coming into the cafe and coming into the space. Um, it now is utterly booming. It went from we were doing table service because of COVID regulations to now it's a buffet-style uh, dynamic. Um, and we've seen many, many families coming. And they're bringing their friends. Um, it's a very diverse um, area. So we've got people from all over, people that have just arrived in the country. They're bringing their friends along. Um, it's just a great buzz to it. And that has filtered through to the cafe. So we now have lots of people from the school coming to the cafe. Um, 
but we already had lots of students um, and some elderly people that used to come along, that do come along to the cafe. So we got this broad spectrum coming along to the cafe. We have the police, lots of the police come to the cafe now. Um, and lots of traffic wardens, which actually is really helpful because parking is very tricky because we're very inner city. So we can ask them, oh, what would you do about this? And what would you do about that? Um, and we've had opportunities to pray for people. We've had people come in saying, my friend's really sick. Can you pray for them? And then that person has come in and said, thank you so much for praying for us. But we don't publicize that we are a church cafe. Because we have a separate name to the church, it's the table, um, it's kind of a bit of a demarcation. Lots of people that serve in the cafe are part of the church, but we have lots of people who aren't part of the church serving in the cafe, both Christians, non-Christians. We have refugees coming to help in the cafe now, um, which has been a huge blessing. We have loads of people come help in the cafe that are looking for work um, and so they can then come help in the cafe I, I or someone else who um, helps run in the cafe can write them a reference um, so it's been an incredible opportunity to reach into the community and literally we all we've done is just walk through the doors that God has opened for us and lent in to the different giftings that different people have. So we've been able to release lots of people to run lots of groups. So we've got postnatal support groups, which is obviously a big issue after COVID. Um, we've had a um, huge amount of people coming with postnatal depression to the groups. Um, we've... Oh, that's, that's me saying I am four minutes up. Um, <laughs> I thought I needed to do that. Um, we've, had, uh, we've got lots of different groups happening in the, in the building that different people are running, whether it's well-being, art classes, we've got a baby group, we've got um, home for good group meet in the building, we've got different groups from the school, and we want to do more. But we're just looking to honour those around us, honour the refugee connections that we're now making, honour the school and see where it takes us. And it's beautiful and it's great fun. So we've looked at the 222 principle. Uh, we've looked at the subject of we can do more together than we can apart. And then um, thirdly and finally, um, you replicate what you celebrate. You replicate what you celebrate. You replicate what you celebrate. I was struck recently by the scriptural encouragements to pray. The word thanksgiving pops up so many times. Um, so Philippians 4 verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Present your requests uh, to God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. 
And this sense, it's not kind of, you know, this candy floss American thing of whoop, whoop, whoop about everything. Um, but actually, it's, it's, it's fighting some of this British cynicism and, and actually being grateful and thankful for what God is doing rather than complaining about what we think he isn't. And uh, it's a battle, I know, because we live in, in the UK culture, but it's a battle that we're called to take on. And... Um, Jesus, when the disciples return, Luke 10, 20, uh, Jesus celebrates. He celebrates. I saw Satan fall. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, we don't ultimately rejoice that the spirits submit to us. We don't ultimately rejoice because of that. We ultimately rejoice because our names are written in heaven. And therefore, we don't get despondent when no one comes to the cafe, no one comes to the food bank. And it feels like we actually have to just close this project because it's not working. We don't become despondent because our ultimate joy is not found in that. It's found that our names are written in heaven. But actually, we can celebrate and be full of thanksgiving for what God is doing in our church and in our community. I think it was probably Drucker who said, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And some of us might think, well, I need to come up with some amazing strategy to lead in mercy and mission. Well, there are a couple of principles we've looked at. You know, the 222 principle, find someone, uh, find others to work with. Yes, but actually culture does often eat strategy for breakfast. All you need to do is celebrate what God's already doing. And when you tend to celebrate something, it tends to get replicated because people think, oh yeah, that is a good thing actually. Maybe I should get involved in that. Actually, maybe I should step out and do what I feel like God's called me to do. And so I want to encourage us that leading in mercy and mission is about creating a culture of celebrating success. Now that implies defining what sex success is. Um, but, and, and usually we failure our way forward. Um, but actually celebrating success when it does happen. Uh, as a church, I'll share my story for a few minutes and then we'll have some Q&A. Um, as a church, every year we used to do a thank you for serving evening. And um, we'd get some nice food, some nice wine, uh, and we'd just bless everyone in the church uh, for serving and we just thanked them. And then uh, one year we thought, actually, maybe what we should do this year, instead of patting ourselves on the back, is we should thank our local community. And so what we did, we sent letters out to local business owners, local charities, local organizations, and, and just said, we want to celebrate what you're doing and thank you for what you're doing in the community. So I think we've got some images of this. Um, so uh, the timing of this was, it feels like a God thing. Um, just going into the pandemic, this was a few weeks before, uh, we gave some awards out, we got the mayor round, and uh, we splashed a bit more out, and, and we just thanked them from the bottom of our hearts. We said, we're just so thankful for what you do for our community, and, and we bless you, and we thank you. There's no hidden agenda here. We're not going to slap you around the face with the gospel while you're eating your dinner. Um, we just want to thank you and bless you. But what came out of that is a lot of what the second point uh, that we were trying to make is some partnerships. And people were like, oh, right, well, you guys are all right, actually. You're quite nice. You're quite friendly. Um, and we've got some more slides, I think. So um, literally going into the pandemic, 
as a result of that, um, the council got in touch with us and said, would you mind receiving a few tons of students' donations and giving them away to the local community? And so we set up this free shop, the Great Gateway Giveaway. Um, we, we've done that for a couple of years. We'll do it again in, in a couple of weeks. And then another thing that came out of that was um, uh, just partnering with some other local organisations to deliver cooked food for those who struggled to cook for themselves in the pandemic. And we just tipped 5,000, not the 100,000 uh, you did here, but 5,000 meals delivered to people's houses. And, and it, just, it just, through that celebrating, it actually replicated something. So I want to encourage you, who already is doing amazing things in your church and outside your church as well? Um, I think Graham Ann's tells the story of the amount of times uh, in his church history that they've prayed for the kids' work at church, which is brilliant. But how often have they actually prayed for the head teachers and the teachers in the church who day in, day out are serving the kids? You replicate what you celebrate. Um, let's be thankful and celebrate um, when we see good practice happening. What I'd love to do, I haven't asked any of the guys who, who shared the stories if they're happy to. If you're not, just sit there and ignore me. But if you're happy to bring your chair and come and plonk yourself on the stage, we've got 10 minutes just to finish to, with some Q&A. Um, if you're happy to come up, and there may be questions, there may not. We've got um, our friend here to run with the mic. Um, so if you're happy to make your way forward, plonk yourself on a chair, and um, we can take questions. I think maybe just the last 10 minutes, these questions, maybe not the detail. I'm sure you can ask some of these guys detail about specifically how they run their projects. Um, but more general questions, it'd be great um, to pick the brain. So if you've got a question, chuck your hand up, and the mic will be with you very quickly. There's one over here. Stephen and Lisa, what you're doing is fantastic. Can I ask, I would imagine there's more demand than you've got capacity for. What do you do? Do you turn people away? That sounds dreadful, but how do you handle that? Um, we, we pray. So that's our plan. <laughs> that's God. Um, our heart and vision is to end refugee destitution in Blackburn and also end up other... Uh, um, kind of uh, other housing problems um, for refugees in Blackburn as well. That's our heart. Um, we, we, we're actually full at the moment. So we've got four flats. We are actually full. Uh, some of that requires us to move those individuals on um, because that's part of healing and restoration. Is making sure that they're independent and they get back into the home office system. Um, but um, um, we, 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 want to, we don't want to turn people away. So we want to get a sustainable model where we can purchase or lease or whatever more property. Um, uh, some of the ways we're going to do that is via the council. We thought we were in trouble with the council for setting up a housing project and they wanted to give us money. <laughs> so, so they've kind of accidentally made us, well, God has worked through the council and potentially made us very sustainable. Um, so, so that's how we don't want to turn anybody away. Um, yeah, that's it. Excellent. Next question. There's one there. Is that your hand up? It's like an auction. Ah, oh, it's an auction. He's, he's bought it. Yeah. Any questions? Yeah, there's a question there from the chap in the hat. So again, Stephen and Lisa, you're running a house of a HMO, House of Multiple Occupancy. How, how do you cope with, uh, with that? Do you have to conform to the fire regs? And also, with, uh, as a landlord, we have to give a, a tenant an agreement. How, because you just said you, 
you moved people on, so how do you terminate that with them? Okay, so our flats, they are two bedroom flats, so we officially do not get classed as um, a HMO. So that, that gets us out of that um, regulation. But what we do is we've worked really closely um, with another charity called NACOM, who really help us with all the policies and procedures and everything that we should be doing. So the flats that we use were already, um, had been set up as sort of social, not social housing, that's the wrong term, but housing people who uh, were in need of affordable housing. So they were already set up in a good state before we took them on, um, and we just worked to maintain them. Does that help answer it? Is that okay? Another question. Great, the one at the front. Bless them. Um, you, you said you know, it's a destitute uh, asylum seekers in terms of putting them back to the fresh claim and uh, starting a, uh, with the home office. <clears throat> So in terms of uh, legal support, do you have a, uh, someone with uh, OCSI? I think it's one of that they need some qualification or something. So do you, how do you support them? So, so previous, before I was a full-time um, elder of Community Church Batman, I used to work for something called the ARC Project, which is as a refugee caseworker. So this is how we know uh, this. Uh, there was no legal aid refugee solicitors in Blackburn. The nearest was Liverpool, Manchester, Bolton. So what do we do? Um, we prayed. <laughs> we, we asked God and we said, dear Lord Jesus, we really need some legal aid um, um, solicitors in Blackburn. So we, when we prayed, within about... Um, a few months, two set up uh, about 100 yards from where our church was, <laughs> which is, um, so, so that's one, so what we've done, we've developed quite good links with those guys, um, and um, what we do, there's almost quite a straight passage between, at the moment, um, between Kairos and the refugees and getting them back. We've built a relationship with the, the, refu with the solicitors, really, so, so yeah, prayer, blessed. Have we got a question for, not for Stephen and Lisa, for anyone? Excellent, great. Not that we don't want to hear from you guys, but it's good to hear from others. So this is just a general question. Because um, I think all of you talked about partnering with, with um, others who weren't part of the church. And um, you specifically, Chris, said about not wanting to lose one of your wings. Have you ever been in the position where you felt that your wings were clipped? in terms of mission because you were partnering with others? Great question. Ms. Paul, Paul, yeah. The answer to that question is no, because we've taken the stand right from the beginning. Whoever we work with, we're really clear. We're King's Church, we love Jesus, we worship Jesus, we talk about Jesus. If you don't want to give us money on that basis or don't want to work with us, that's fine. And that gets it out of the way. And it means that... <clears throat> they are comfortable with the ex their expectations. And if we don't set their expectations properly, we'll always be, have one hand up our, behind our back because um, they'll complain about us and all the rest of it. And all, all I have to do is to say, I told you. I told you what we would do. If you don't like it, please take your money. That's fine. Go away. That's, you know, that politely and graciously with humility, but I think we have to be really clear as to why we're in this, who we are, and what we expect to achieve. Does that make sense? 
Again, I would say no, um, because the people that we've connected with, the refugee charities and the school, and we want to go broader, we have very much said we are a cafe that's connected with a church. Um, and even we've applied for a grant, like we had a alleviate poverty grant that we applied for with the school. We got the grant and then the school then went on to get a healthy eating, well, a healthy school award, partly to do with their connection with our, with us and well-being and food. And so it's always been actually been positive, but we again have been very open at the beginning. Great. I think, I think, just to add, I think that often the legal term that's put in on contracts or agreements is proselytize, that you agree not to proselytize. I think it actually needs some more clarification, that word, because when is it proselytization, when is it not? Um, like We should be free to share our faith because we can't separate our work or who we are from our faith. It's integral, is what Paul was saying. But we can agree not to bash people over the head, you know. Um, but I think that word often needs some clarification with local governments, local councils. Um, is there one last question? Mr. Price. How do you maintain the involvement of the church with the project so that it doesn't spin off and just be its own thing? So how do you keep that connection with your congregations? That's a great question. And you can go two ways. I think you can go down the create a charity route for a separate organization, which has pros and cons, or you can keep it within the church, and that has pros and cons. My observation is the bigger that the organization gets as a trust, the less connected it is to the local church. That's just an observation. It's not a fact. It's just a, an observation. From my perspective, it's about keeping talking about it, keeping praying about it. At prayer meetings, let's pray about this. Let's keep praying about this. Let's keep praying about this. Um, it, we put things into our newsletters on a regular basis. We're always talking about some of the projects we're doing. You know, the, what I talked about is just one project out of five or six. Um, and you keep it in front of the church all the time. And, uh, you know, if you've got a membership course or a joining church course, it needs to be right in the DNA of what you're doing. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we expect of you. If you're joining our church, we want you to be part of some of the things we're doing. Um, but I think it's, it's just hard work keeping it all there all the time. Especially when you, as church leaders, you're also spinning lots of other plates. You know, and, um, but I think it comes down to the vision of the church. Who, what is, how far have you driven social justice and action into the DNA of who you are, we'll, we'll, you can tell that, that the measure of that is how many people in the church actually engage with what you're doing, if that makes sense. And I think that's a, that comes from the leadership of the church, not from the congregation. It's the leadership issue, in, in my view. Anyone else want to add anything? Um, yeah, so we... I'll echo everything you were saying, but we've also started um, on a Friday afternoon, we do something called, uh, it's a drop-in or coffee, coffee at Kairos, and we um, encourage people from church to come and people who live in the flats to come, um, and we've got a sort of a communal area, um, it's a washing machine for the residents to get on with, with that sort of thing, and we just sit together and we, we play games and we just build community and we find that then 
people who are residents in our flats then come round the corner on a Sunday morning to church to carry on that community. And also when people at church come and they meet and spend time one-to-one with the people who we house, the connection is really natural. So, so, so I think it is just, so one of the beauties that we've found, and, and it is hard, I totally agree with Paul, um, is that sometimes the social action gives your church the opportunity to serve um, in a way that's outside of the church meeting setting, you know, and I think that's very exciting uh, for your church, um, and I think they want to see God's kingdom move in a visceral way, um, and actually, often you see that when you're working with the poor. You see the kingdom of God advance in ways that you don't, exp- I'm not saying experience on a Sunday morning, but just you see incredible things, you know, and, and lives really changed by the gospel. And, and it's a great way to get your church to give them an opportunity to experience that. So, Great. We've come to time. Shall, shall I pray for us quickly? Father, we just thank you. Uh, for this time together thank you for this great commission this great commandment I pray we would fly with both wings I pray help us to implement the 222 principle help us find people who you've called uh, and to release them into what you have given them Uh, thank you Lord that we can do more together than we can apart help us find those good partnerships uh, where you're leading us to where people can see your hand upon us And pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be a thankful people. We thank you, Father, for these projects that we've heard about. We thank you that your gospel is bearing fruit all around the world. And we thank you that churches uh, are demonstrating the mercy and mission of God. And we pray that would continue in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.